Hello and welcome back to Call of the Wild with me, Kel Spellman. I'm here to welcome you to another of our bonus episodes. This time it's a longer chat with the great Steve Backshaw, TV presenter and nature expert about the plastic problem. I do hope you enjoy and I'll catch you at the end. I've been very much looking forward to having this person join us on our podcast. I couldn't think of anyone more fitting, really, after David Attenborough, which is a big statement, but it's one that I stand by. Um, Mr. Steve Backshaw, welcome along, my friend. How are you? Could I have a grander introduction than that? My goodness, (laughs) you know how to hit my buttons, Cal. (laughs) Even if if nothing else happens in this interview, that's it. I'm leaving happy. We've kind of, we've known each other for, for quite a while because we go way back to our, our CBBC days and you're a man who definitely was teaching me about nature and I'm sure many young people listening as well um so yeah I feel it's, it's very fitting indeed Steve have you been well though how has the last kind of year been for you it has been very odd as I know it has for for so many people um we had twins just before lockdown and we already had a a, a one-year-old at that stage as well so it's been crazy and it's been a very different experience of parenthood going through this this last year and there are lots and lots of things that we've we've missed out on and they've missed out on but at the same time we are incredibly lucky that our kids are that young because you know all my friends that I have who have kids who are a little bit older and need to be um, homeschooling and things it's been such a struggle for them at least you know our kids they obviously would be better if they had the social aspect to their lives but they're not going to be we don't think scarred from it so I I think we're if it had been a couple of years further down the line, it would have been an awful lot harder. Yeah, of course. Um, and I guess this actually, I mean, I should point out here, me, me and Steve are also on a Zoom as we do this recording. And Steve's background, I mean, I'm sure we've all seen some interesting backgrounds, is by far the best I've seen over the last 13, 14 months. You're, you look like you're by a, a lake almost in, in the great outdoors. It's very fitting, to be fair. It's it's green screen, Cal. You should be used to this by now. There's, I, I'm just, I'm sat in a cupboard. I've just painted this in behind me. No, no. The, the thing, the thing is, is that um, I, I've done a, a lot of broadcasts and zooms in lockdown, and with three kids, you can't do it indoors. It's absolutely impossible. So I, I've sat out here outside my house in the wind and the rain. I've done it at night, and a lot of the time it's been utterly miserable. And now today, I've woken up, and it is stunning. It's the most perfect winter day you could ever ask for. Blue sky, crisp frost on the ground. I mean, seriously, I'm I am counting my lucky stars today. I'm glad. Well, it's come out for Call of the Wild. They must have known what the recording was this morning. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, well, let's get into it because we're here to talk about. It's a massive subject: oceans and plastics. To begin with, Steve. Can you kind of summarise uh, what kind of mess are we in when it comes to the single-use plastic problem and also the health of our oceans? Yeah, it's, it's, it is a massive, massive subject, um, and it's one which is, it, it is at absolute crisis point. So I, I've been working um, in natural history and with the environment for, for over 20 years now, and it, it's been on the radar, you know, you would turn up, somewhere in the middle of the Pacific Ocean that should be a forgotten paradise and it'll look you know like a like a rubbish tip and that's been true for for most of my adult life. I think the thing that is most concerning is the acceleration of effects over the last decade and particularly over the last five years and uh, I think also we're starting to understand 
that this is more than just an aesthetic problem. It's having catastrophic effects on our environments, on our wildlife, and eventually uh, it is going to have catastrophic effects on us as well. The amount of single-use plastic is absolutely off the scale. And it's starting to have very visual, very dramatic effects in the environments that I visit as a matter of course, filming wildlife. And so much in this, Steve, that's where it kind of defies logic. I struggle with as well, and I don't know if you find this, Steve, is when people do throw away a single-use plastic water bottle or any form of rubbish, do they, I always go, do you not have the thought of wondering where that might end up? You know, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. And I think that a lot of people make out that it's really difficult that thinking about this stuff is is just too much effort too much hassle too much fuss but actually once you start thinking a little bit about where stuff comes from and where stuff goes it becomes like breathing it becomes something that you you do with everything and for the most part it is to our benefit it is things which you know ends up saving us money and ends up that sometimes makes you feel good don't, I mean, don't you feel good when you fill up your water bottle and you think oh, i've just saved a plastic bottle there that's 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 a, that's a little bit that i've done to save the planet so good that's that's the reason why the so-called plastic bag tax worked you know i can remember a lot of the naysayers before it came out going well that's not going to make any difference everyone can afford 5p no one's going to but people do because you, you get to the till and you go, mm-hmm. oh no, I've forgotten my, my plastic bags. I'm going to have to use one of theirs. And oh no, I feel so guilty. And the next time round, you don't do it. And then the next time round, when you give in your recycled bag, you think, oh, I've just done a little bit for the planet there. And you get that little, yeah. that little <laughs> ping of smug self-satisfaction that you get when you're doing something altruistic. And that's why, you know, that was one of the biggest single things that's happened in my adult life. It, as a positive for, for conservation, because it does all of a sudden start people thinking, start people thinking about, did I really need that bag? What's going to happen if I take that mm-hmm. one and then just chuck it away? Oh, maybe it's going to end up blowing into the Thames and then end up suffocating a seagull. And, and all of a sudden, you, you just start thinking a little bit more about the planet around you and being a little bit more sensible about how, how you make your choices. If we were to take that further, what do you think, in your opinion, could be other laws or or governmental change that we could be looking for to bring about this mass impact like the plastic bag tax? There are there are so, so many. And a lot of those need to start from the top down. So it's ways that the government needs to be either rewarding big corporations for, for positive moves for change or penalising them for very evident negatives that's also something that all of us can help with as well you know we do have a voice and even the big supermarkets Mm -hmm. you know you go to your local supermarket and you find your bananas done up in a plastic bag when they don't need to be go on twitter and go oi you supermarket this doesn't need to happen this is ridiculous packaging (laughs) and then somebody who's reading the twitter account will go oh no we don't we don't want that bad opinion of us out on social media quick let's let's do something about it enough of those voices will and can make a difference a lot of it though also needs to be top down but i tell you what what i find quite exciting about that is i went to a convention two years ago uh, which was all about sustainable packaging for for big corporations across europe there's a couple of representatives from here in the uk a couple of the really big companies there and what was really clear from that convention was that they were to a certain extent running scared and overwhelmingly they were kind of saying 
we need to make this change. We need to make this change because consumers are demanding it. And I met more than one big corporate bigwig who was kind of saying, my my kids have been at the table with me saying, Daddy, what are you doing about this problem with plastics? And I'm kind of like... I can't have I can't have my kids thinking badly about me. I've got to do something about this. And so, you know, there's economics is a, is a massive driver for a lot of these big companies. You know, if they're if they're consumer based demand it, then they will affect change. There's there's also an awful lot of them out there who have kids that they want to think well about them and a lot about, of them who want to be leaders, who want to be at the forefront of change and want to be seen to be at the forefront of change. And and all those things can be can be very very powerful in getting our big businesses to affect change on a on a grand scale. Now, personal responsibility, and and this is why the plastics problem more than any other is the one that that I kind of get excited by. Is is excited by the wrong word? I, I think you know a lot of the problems that we have in in global conservation now are so big and so amorphous and so complex that it's very, very difficult to get people on side. You know, I particularly battle with, with climate change because the, the messages are, are so difficult. You know, telling the story of climate change and how we personally do anything to affect it is, is almost impossible. Plastics is the opposite. Plastics is simple. You know, every single person can understand the story. Here is a plastic bottle. I didn't need to use it. I could have had it out of a cup instead. I'll throw that away. It's going to be in a river and it's going to be there for 80 years and it could well choke an otter. People get that. They understand it instantly. It's a simple and a strong story. And it's one that has turned on more young people to what they can personally achieve in conservation than any other topic that I know of. I meet so many inspirational, charged young people who are filled with enthusiasm, who are going to make the planet a better place because of the plastic problem and because they've figured out that they personally, as a single individual, can stop single-use plastic straws in their school, that they personally, as an individual, can change the way that their parents behave and the way that their parents' friends behave, that they personally can make a little video and put it on YouTube and it can get a couple of thousand hits about what they've done to try and get single-use plastic bags banned in their, in their school or their town or their village. It's empowering and there is, there is nothing that is more empowering than seeing that you have the ability to make a difference. And, and that's why the, the narratives, the stories, the storytelling around the plastic problem is so powerful. What you've just said there is so powerful because especially with this this series that we're making, Steve, like you say, a lot of these topics, we are made to feel quite powerless. Whereas you say there is something something so poignant with, with the plastics where actually you can own that power and take ownership over your own decisions that are going to actually make a massive difference on a small scale and collectively a big scale. I, I wanted to pick up on the point of where through our behavioural change and hope, you know, through our con- buying and our, and our consuming ways, we can put pressure on these corporations and big businesses and governments. But I guess there is the point where we could run the risk of we'd maybe cause a knee-jerk reaction that would have maybe more of a negative effect than a positive one. And it kind of then brings us into this whole greenwashing territory as well. Is, is, is that something to be aware of and that we should think about? You know, obviously, if you are talking about so-called recyclable materials that are not recyclable, that can be very, very dangerous. If you're talking about materials, you know, the shopping bags are a, a, a classic. If we were to replace single-use plastic bags with much, much stronger, much, much tougher 
plastic bags, but used them in the same way, he's only used them one time, then that obviously is going to be hugely, hugely negative because they take longer to break down. They take longer to, to biodegrade. There's an awful lot of work going into plastics that, that may break down faster into their, their smaller constituents that are not necessarily a good thing. But at the same time, you know, the use of... I work with a lot of companies now that are using reclaimed, for example, marine plastics to make their, their packaging. As long as you make sure that you, you know, you very clearly signpost where that goes once you've used it, I, I think that can be that can be a very a very positive thing. I think that now one of the big drives is is to move away from particularly plastics in packaging towards uh, different kinds of, of uses of paper and cardboard and you know this is this is a classic one where people are going to say yes but that paper's got to come from somewhere it's going to be cutting down trees that's going to have its own carbon footprint and yes of course it is but it's better than plastic it's definitely better than plastic uh, it can be mulched it can degrade and most of it is going to come from sustainable forestry as opposed to coming from you don't use an old growth ironwood tree for cardboard packaging packaging is something that i I'm always banging on about. I find it absolutely abhorrent and disgusting, the amount of packaging that is given to things. And again, with that total disregard and lack of thought, what could be then some of the alternatives that, that we're looking towards? You mentioned earlier in the conversation, of course, an easy one straight away is, you know, paper bags or, or cardboard packaging is very, very simple. Any, any other substances or materials that come to mind, Steve? So, so one of the one of the interesting things with with cardboard is that until relatively recently, if you wanted to use cardboard as a packing material, you just had to take a slab of cardboard and you had to fold it into a variety of different shapes. Whereas now it can be effectively 3D printed into very specific shapes that enable you to pack even the most fragile of items and send them in a cardboard container, which has no plastic at all it purely functions on put tab a into slot b and boom that is getting pretty close to being economically viable so that it doesn't cost dramatically much more than the than the the plastic equivalent and some of those are the worst there is nothing that drives me more crazy than ordering a bunch of natural history books and having them turn up and there being a roll of inflated plastic bags inside the thing so that your books don't slough around inside the improperly made cardboard casing. That's, that's just crazy. What, what, what an absolutely... Rid- and, and unless you, you pop them and you stick them into your rubbish bin, that is going straight into landfill as something which is bigger than it needs to be. It's just crazy. The, the um, polystyrene nodules, I don't know what the name is for them, but the, the really old-fashioned polystyrene nodules that, that used to be used to pack a television set and stuff like that, those are just the absolute worst. But they can now be replaced with cardboard, with, with 3D printed cardboard. And, and that is a, you know, it's a big win-win for, for absolutely everybody. So it is possible. It's definitely possible. If you have a, a big company send you something and the packaging is ridiculous, then say something about it and say it on social media as vocally and as, as loudly as you can, preferably with a photo, because enough of that happens and someone is going to pay attention because you know we live we live in an in an era where people can get rated for their services over and over and over again and they they have to take those things seriously so if you see something you don't like don't just grumble about it to your to your partner make a scene you know make as big a scene as you possibly can it might have no effect but eventually 
eventually one of those messages or, or a couple of hundred of those messages is going to force someone to make that change. Yeah, uh, one of the one of the one of my greatest moments, I think, through my journey in conservation activism, Steve, and, and you were there for this, was the mass lobby event, which took place. Uh, it wasn't last year; it was the year before. And for those who might not know, it was um, the mass lobby event. It took place in central London, and it involved, I think, more or less every wildlife charity, every environmental charity and organisation, NGOs coming together with all their supporters to have their voices heard and ring the alarm on the climate emergency. And you saw it and it was a brilliant coming together of people, but you go, why has this not been done before? And and you can see actually how powerful a movement can be if we do come together. And I guess that's why, because people are listening going, okay, uh, Exxon, for instance, or Shell, or these mass powerful corporations that, like you say are multi, multi, multi billionaires, you go, well, can we really influence or change their habits or affect their big business? I guess listening to you there and take the mass lobby as an example, yes, we can, but it does require group people power, I think. And I don't know if you add anything else, Steve. Yeah, no, no absolutely. I, I think there, there are several elements to that. First of all, yes, eventually we can. Uh, but secondly, we, we cannot let that, that negate our actions. If Exxon, taken as an example, want to stick to an antiquated method of doing their business and stick to extraordinary levels of uh, anthropogenic climate change causing actions, we cannot go, oh, well, waste of time us doing anything then, isn't it? We've got to crack on regardless. And one of the, I think that the end game of this is that if we do crack on and we do end up finding a new way of doing economics a new way of doing politics a new way of doing business then eventually they will find themselves left behind and it can sometimes be paralyzing you can sometimes think you know what am i doing i've just installed solar panel solar panels and then i've been to a a a power station that is just chugging poison into the atmosphere thousands of tons of it every single minute what's the point but the fact is is that if you were to do that then we all would just give up and we would be paralyzed by the opposition and and you know that that isn't in our nature we we are a a species that should be always thriving for the best and when you work together in millions or potentially billions of people then small things do have huge positive effects. And those small things can be in the form of, you know, Twitter messages calling out some corporation for using too much packaging, or they could be in, you know, much, much grander things. But what I find most exciting about this moment in history, you know, there's lots of reasons to be negative, lots of reasons to be bleak about this moment in history. But the thing that I find more exciting about now than any other time is this young wave of activism is the young people who've decided to take on the planet's problems and make them their own um that has not been the case in any other time in human history and i I say this um quite a lot nowadays it's starting to become a little bit of a maxim of mine but i i think this time in history is going to be looked back on alongside many of the human rights movements of the past we will look back on this time now and go this was this was a time for environmental activism coming of age and i mean you, you talked about the, the the event that we both attended in in, in london I, I have the opportunity to to be at lots and lots of, of those kind of events and to meet 
the young people who've switched on to these problems and they are so utterly inspiring sometimes frankly terrifying because they're they're so intelligent they're so they're so eloquent <laughs> yeah. uh, you know they they know what they want they're out to get it they're charged with an ambition that you know i frankly you know lost in my teens but <laughs> <laughs> it, it it is it is it's so exciting to be around the, these young people and see them going right well that's the problem i'm going to go out and solve it um and i i think that now is is the time in history for that uh, for that young wage wave of conservation activism and that creates those good habits those good routines and those good ways of thinking which as we know are going to have massive impacts not only on our local environment but the environment as a whole and the routine thing is something that I think is really important to say here like you said how easy it is to have your own reusable water bottle as an example it takes those two three times before that becomes second nature pardon the pun to you and I think that's what we as individuals definitely can be striving for like you say not just on those little things of the, the disposable coffee cup but across the board on all things in, in your day-to-day way living and work what can you see can be changed and how can you do things differently do you have three top tips for us steve my my three top tips number one educate yourself learn as much as you can make sure you're getting the right information from the right places and stay on top of these ever changing ever developing subjects stay educated and you know that counts for everything but it particularly counts for conservation number two i would say know that you have a voice and use it you know if there are things that really matter to you don't be afraid to to shout about it yours may be a voice that gets lost in the void or it may be one that gets heard gets picked up and leads to a big change but most of all don't be afraid to shout about the things that are important to you and number three know that the changes that you make in your own life can make a difference if you do something as simple as carrying around a coffee cup and not buying a disposable coffee cup every single time and you've done that well probably a couple of coffees every day for a year for 10 years we're talking about 6,000 coffee cups that you as one person have not put into landfill that's massive that that is a huge huge thing and you know it's all about the I, I study evolution evolution is about the way that small changes over big time change everything they change everything in the world and it's the same with our, our own behavioral changes it may feel small to you but incrementally over time and particularly when you expand it to include the 66 million people in this country the 7 billion people in the world that's where big change comes from Steve I couldn't think of a more perfect moment to to round off this conversation although safe to say and I think I can speak for the listeners we could listen to you speak all day Um, so thank you so much for for your time for your passion and and for your work as well Steve you know you you really are one of the people that are are driving the change and and driving the conversation and and this has been an absolute pleasure so thank you it's always a joy to speak to you and I, I can't wait to to finally see you again in person give you a, a massive hug when that is allowed to happen How good is he? That is the wonderful Steve Backshaw. An absolute treat to talk to him. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. Now, if you did, you know what I'm going to say. 
please do subscribe and leave us a little review if you can. It will help us get the word out to more people and really helps the podcast. And I would greatly appreciate it. Plus, if you have any ideas or tips that you've found to try and reduce your plastic use, or indeed any kind of positive environmental impact, I would absolutely love to hear it. It's so simple. You can just send us a message to callofthewild at wwf.org.uk or you can join the conversation on Twitter. Just use the hashtag callofthewild. Our next episode is out in two weeks where we're going to be looking at how we can improve our food choices to keep our forest standing. Plus, I'll be meeting with Kedar Williams-Sterling and Tanya Reynolds from Netflix's hit show, Sex Education. Cannot wait for that. Call of the Wild is a fresh air production for WWF. I'll see you next time and thanks for listening.